Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to exclusive content brought to you by Seekers Guidance. We are committed to make reliable Islamic knowledge accessible and free of charge. Help us in our mission by making a small donation at seekersguidance.org slash donate. Even $10 a month can go a long way. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Um, welcome to Sheikh Ahmed Al-Azari. Um, it is indeed an honor to have a second session with you on the art of reading or adab al-mutala'a. Um, last week we discussed the three stages of learning, of acquainting ourselves um, with various genres, right, and coming to understand the various texts and the terminologies within that genre or that tradition of study. And the second stage of the extraction of knowledge from the text itself. And then you mentioned the third stage, which was um, come immersing yourself in that knowledge and um, internalizing that knowledge itself. And then we discuss the Western tradition as well as the Islamic tradition, um, the Adab al-Mutala'a as well as Adab al-Talab al-Ilm. Mm-hmm. And um, we find that there are many, um, both within the Western tradition as well as the Islamic tradition, mm-hmm. there are many authoritative works and many monumental works, mm-hmm. and many students struggle to, to read these works and to study it and understand it and read it critically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Francis Bacon that said, um, some, some books are meant to be tasted, mm-hmm. others are meant to be swallowed, mm-hmm. and others are meant to be chewed and digested. And then he continues, he says, some books are meant to be read in part, some are meant to be read, but um, not read fully, right? And, and some are meant to be read um, diligently and fully, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so within the Islamic tradition as well as the Western tradition, um, how has this, um, this genre or this, this area of adab al-mutala'a come about? And how do we go about reading um, texts within the Islamic tradition critically or give it a critical reading to extract the most from um, the various um, traditions or genres that you may wish to study. Okay, brilliant. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, thank you, uh, Nabil, for this uh, brilliant uh, introduction. Um, and I, once again, thank you to the, I thank the listeners for actually taking the opportunity and giving us this uh, privilege uh, to be following the series on the, uh, on the art of reading. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take for, you know, I'll get to your question we just need to uh, to go uh, through a, a quick illustration of how the adab al-mutala' or the, uh, the art of reading, how did it come about? Um, what gave uh, rise to the adab al-mutala' or actually a, a, a tradition of an art of reading um, in, the, uh, in the Islamic classical uh, texts? The, you know, the Professor Khalid al-Ruwayhib, he has a, one of the you know, famous uh, book that was published a few couple years ago, um, or a few years ago, uh, The Islamic Intellectual History in the 17th Century. And he uh, designated a chapter in that book about the rise of deep reading. And al-Ruwayhib, uh, uh, he makes a, a, a hypothesis in, the, in that chapter about the, about the reason, about the cause behind the the art of re- the rise of the art of reading of adab al-mutala and uh, his hypothesis boils down to the um, a need that became prevalent during the time of 
شيخ الاسلام من قاري زاده هو was at his time that was about the uh, 10th 11th uh, you could say around the, the 10th or 11th uh, hijri um, um, time period and sheikh al-islam in qari was an ottoman sheikh al-islam he was he was the he was the grand sheikh in the ottoman empire and during his time they they started having a uh, a system to appoint judges to appoint scholars uh, to have to be to be principals of schools uh, to appoint muftis so they 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 developed a system at during his time period where in order to receive that appointment or to receive that position as a scholar you need to sit for an exam um, in front of a committee and uh, Sheikh al-Islam al Qari Zada he was the he was the leader of that committee and he was giving the he was given the title of Mumayyiz al-Ulama meaning he is he's the one who could who, who can distinguish you know who's a scholar and who's not a scholar Traditionally, before that time period, or before that decision, before that new system, a person or a student of knowledge would get an ijazah, would get a license, basically, from his sheikh. So he, the, there was no need for students to study other works than the works that are being taught by their shiuch, by their teachers, by their masters. So when the new system came about, now there is a competition. Uh, between the students of knowledge on how to attain those sort of job positions. Uh, um, again, this is according to the to Ruayhib's uh, hypothesis that he laid out at the end of that chapter, uh, The Rise of Deep Reading, in his book, The Islamic Intellectual History in the 17th Century. So students found the need to be studying other works, other books, uh, than the works and the texts that their their shiuch would be uh, would be teaching in their in their own uh, schools and in their own uh, circles. So that kind of gave birth to the need of the art of reading. Now they need to read books on their own because they will compete with other students coming from different schools and different places around the Ottoman Empire to get a to get a certain position uh, to be appointed for certain positions. So they kind of um, um, had the need to study works on their own. And from that sort of need, huh, where the art of reading came about. That's, that's the hypothesis of Khalid Ruwayhib. Personally, I don't rule that out completely. But the thing is, I, I, I see another reason for why the art of reading um, came about, which was the, the, the rise of super commentaries. Super commentaries are known as the Hawashi, and they were written in a in a in a certain structure and in a certain form that that was kind of very difficult to navigate. And I would support my my hypothesis in this um, that there, we have a text, one of the texts that I have edited in the. In the second edition of my work, Al Mutari' fi Adab al Mutari' is attributed to a Sayyid Sharif al Gurgani, who precedes Shaykh al Islam al Qari Zada. Sayyid Sharif al Gurgani was born 740 Hijri, so he was during the 8th century. And he wrote a wasiyah, he wrote a recommendation on how to read a book, on actually how to read 
what, what, what he called it, he's, it was called Wasiyyatu Sayyid al-Sharif al-Gurgani fi mutala'ati al-dars. Okay, fi mutala'ati al-dars. So in other words, it was called the recommendation of Sayyid al-Sharif al-Gurgani for the, how to prepare, how to do the preparatory reading for the lesson. So that would indicate that there was the, the, the structure of lessons was going through some kind of a new development during the 8th century, Hijri century. Plus, you could say that there's a correlation that during the 8th century, the notion of Hawashi came about. Because Sayyid Sharif of Gurgani wrote lots of super commentaries. Most of his writings actually were super commentaries. So you could see there is a relationship. And also Sa'ad al-Taftazani who wrote commentaries. That, that, was, that, that was the school you could say that was the kind of like the third um, or the second generation of a Razi's school, Fakhruddin al-Razi. I'm sorry if I'm going a little bit off tangent, but we're trying to kind of like see how did this come about? Was it a notion of a need for job positions, as Ruwayhib would say, or was there something different about how the, 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 the literature, the works, the texts were actually being written? So the, the, the time period of writing Al-Mutun, the manuals, <coughs> came after a period where scholars would be writing commentaries. Mm. And after the period of commentaries, which was the, the time period of the, the 6th and the 7th centuries, and then you find the, the 8th century, which is 700 plus, there was a new rise for the uh, writing the super commentaries. Mm. Now the super commentaries, were written in the form of written discussions and debates. No. That's what the Hawashi were. The, the Hawashi basically, or the super commentaries, are, you could say, in, a, in, a, in a some sense, they were critical editions. They were critical writings. Because Sayyid al-Sharif al-Gurgani and Sa'd al-Taftazani, one of the scholars that were before them was the Imam Abud al-Din al-Igi. Who wrote, or who you know, he he played a big role in the introduction of adab al-bahth wal-munawara, the art of the uh, of discussions and debates. You could say adab al-bahth is not research. Many people think adab al-bahth is, is is the is the science of re, or the art of research, but actually it's the it's the art of disciplinary discourse. How to argue? How, how to argue in a form of a debate? Or just how to argue in the form of discussion. All right? So al-munawara is debate. Al-bahth meaning at-tabahth. So basically we are kind of discussing this. Like we're sort of brainstorming. We're, we're discussing the, the, a certain topic to reach a conclusion. So al-igi wrote a manual discussing the structure of the disciplinary discourse. And it was used, it was used by the writers of the super commentaries with the <coughs> writers of the manuals of the Mutun and the writers of the commentaries, the Shuruh. Because these works, the commentaries and the super commentaries, yes, they are written words, they're jotted down, they're scribed on paper. But they were written in the form of as if it's a discussion with the real author, even if you did not sit with him. 
there is a famous story of a Sayyid al-Sharif al-Gurgani. And, you know, what, after I tell you the story, after I narrate the story, you will find everything just uh, being put in place. Sayyid al-Sharif al-Gurgani studied a work of a scholar. His name is Mubarak Shah. All right. And after it was a it was a sharh, it was a commentary on Hikmat al-Ain by Najm al-Din al-Qazwini, which is a work in uh, metaphysics and natural philosophy. So he studied the work of Mubarak Shah, completed it, you know, finished the study of Mubarak Shah's commentary on al-Qazwini's Hikmat al-Ain. And then he had the opportunity to travel to study the commentary with Mubarak Shah himself. When he was introduced to the class, Mubarak Shah, for some reason, did not accept him to enter the classroom. So he was not allowed to enter the classroom. So he kind of, you know, insisted, I really want to attend your class. He said, okay, fine, you will attend my class, but you will sit in the end of the class, all right, and as a listener, so you can audit the, the, the class. You're not, you're, you cannot participate in the classroom. So Sayyid Sharif Gurgani accepted, he took the chance, and Mubarak Shah had a, um, a habit that he would go to the hostel and he would walk by the rooms of his students at night to check upon them. So he was walking by the rooms and then he saw Sayyid Sharif Gurgani, he heard Sayyid Sharif Gurgani behind the, behind the wall, behind the doors, having a discussion with the Shaykh, while well, he's not being there, like, so he imagined Mubarak Shah present in front of him. All right. So what he would do is he would play the role of a, a person who's debating or dis, having a discussion with Mubarak Shah. And Mubarak Shah heard the Sayyid Sharif al-Gurgani respecting Mubarak Shah, even though he's not physically sitting in front of him. All right. So he would tell him, oh, Sayyidi, how would you you know, respond to a person who would bring up a question towards what you said, you know, on this matter, so-and-so. How would you respond? And then he would play the role of his sheikh, of Mubarak Shah, responding to the question and going, you know, the whole night doing this. So that super commentaries were actually just scribing that sort of internal discussion at times. And other times were actually, they were more like... Um, narrations or reporting of the discussions that took place in classes. But these discussions were based upon what? Adab al-Bahth al-Munadharat, what we were just talking about. So, in that sense, Sayyid Sharif al-Gurgani saw it was very important for the person who would start reading the super commentaries to understand how they were written. All right? Because they were written in a form, in a sense of a code. We will get We'll touch upon this notion in the future uh, recordings. It's often not known to this. It's often actually, um, it's it's almost uh, almost it's very rarely understood by the students of knowledge that the writers of the super commentaries they had different coding system. So they would say their opinion about things, but in a form of a of a code. What do I mean by this? So, for example, they, the, the commentary or the super commentaries are based on the notion of questions and answers. Questions and answers. And what we mean by the questions are basically critiques. 
So critiques, responses, critiques, responses. That's the whole construction of the super commentaries. So they often do not convey their stance in a very obvious or apparent form. But they would bring out a critique and they would tell you after the critique, ta'amal, which could be translated as contemplate. Sometimes they would say, fa ta'amal. Sometimes they would say, fal yuta'amal. Sometimes they would introduce a critique by saying, fa'in qila, if it is said. Sometimes they would introduce it by saying, لِقَائِلٍ أَنْ يَقُولٍ So somebody could say. Sometimes they would, in, 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 they would introduce it by saying, قَدْ يُقَالٍ It could be said. These sort of utterances were just not, they were not randomly selected. It was not something, you know, out of like, you know, like literary, literary variation or, you know, they want to variate their, you know, their words, their choice of words. That's not of, because of that. Each one of them would indicate the strength of the critique and the, the response when they say, فَلْيُقَالْ <coughs> and so on and so forth, that would indicate the strength of the response to the critique. So they had a value, like they would value, they would rate the critiques, and they would also rate the, um, uh, the responses to the critiques as well. So because of that, because of that whole structure, that whole system that was introduced during the 8th century and later on, and because of the structure of the classes as well, because the classes turn, were becoming more of debates and discussions, that's why you find even a, before, before the 7th century, um, Al-Qadi Iyad. Most of us know Al-Qadi Iyad for his famous work, Al-Shifa. But Al-Qadi Iyad was a great Maliki jurist, and he had a mu'jam of his shiuch. A mu'jam, basically, it's like a bibliography hmm. of all the scholars that he studied with. <coughs> I, I never, and I, I, you know, I found a, a, several quotes in his book. Most of the scholars would say, I read so-and-so book on the so-and-so sheikh, Qura'at Dabt. Qura'at Dabt, basically reading the book, you know, with the sheikh, not to dig deep in the meanings, but rather to make sure that you're reading the book correctly. That kind of sometimes involves editing the manuscript itself of the book. And then they have something else that was called Qura'atu Tahqiq, which is actually investigating the proofs and the opinions of the author. And then Al-Qadi Iyad said, he used to study Al-Mudawwana. So he mentioned some of his shiukh and he said, Qura'atu alayhi, I read with him Al-Mudawwana in the Maliki Fiqh, Qura'at Munadhara. So I read Al-Mudawwana, but in a form of a debate. So his shiuch would allow him to debate with them the writings, the, the, the al-mudawana itself. So that was a form of, a, of, a, of, of studying, studying a book with a sheikh in the form of a debate. So that, these sort of new structures in the, in the 
uh, in the pedagogy gave birth to a new structure of writing, which then created a need for the students to be well acquainted with how to read, how to, uh, read these works. That's why you find Sajaqili uh, Zada, or Sajaqli Zada, um, who wrote Tartib uh, al-Ulum, the ordering or the classification of sciences. He wrote, it is important for the students to have a one-year class, a one-year course, basically, learning how to read commentaries and super commentaries. They were so intricate and they have, you know, subtle references in them that became necessary for the student to learn how to read them. So he would say, you don't have to finish the book in the whole year. You could read a chapter in a whole year. But the point of reading the chapter is not studying the science, is not studying the, the discipline, but rather, you know, attaining or acquiring that sort of skill on how to navigate commentaries and super commentaries. And then you find um, Al-Muhibbi in Khulasat Al-Athar, who's talking about the norm of the uh, of the of the Shiuch al-Azhar in the tenth, in the tenth eleventh um, uh, century. So he was talking about one of the great Shafi'i scholars at al-Azhar, who is known as An-Nur al-Zayadi. And An-Nur al-Zayadi, one of his uh, students was na was named al-Shibshiri. All right. So al-Shibshiri had a very important role. Ashibshiri would do a preparatory reading workshop before his uh, sheikh would come, would, would, come to the, would come to class. So Ashibshiri would be responsible to gather the students before Anuri Zayadi would attend the class. And they would actually do a mutala. Right? He would prepare them. So when Anuri Zayadi would come, he does not have to go into the whole intricate issues of the text itself. He would come to class, he's the professor, and the teaching assistant is a shibshiri. So Anur Zayadi would come, would come, would start talking about the subject matter. We're talking about today, you know, talking about, let's say, about, you know, the ahkamul riba, for example, the, the, the rulings of usury. Huh? And he would start talking about the, the, the notions of riba or of usury through the you know the jurisprudential you know standing points and explaining all the proofs and things of that sort and he would not get into how did he drive this from the text that was not his role as a professor it was more of the role of the teaching assistant to prepare the students on how to read the text and then the professor would come and just lay out his opinion and then they, they will have a discussion with the, with, with, the, with the sheikh in the subject matter itself. And Al-Muhibbi, when he was explaining this, narrating this story, he said that Al-Shibshiri would do the mutala, would do the reading preparation with the students of Al-Zayadi. He said, In the norm or according to the habit of the scholars of Al-Azhar. So they would have a, a preparatory reading workshop before the... Um, before the sheikh would come. So putting all of these together, the, the, what gave birth to the art of reading, one of them was, as Khalid al 
said in the Islamic intellectual history in the 17th century, one of them could be, as Ruwayh mentioned, the, the notion of a new system for appointments and for positions and for uh, jobs that were given to the, to the students of knowledge. So that kind of, um, you know, preparing them for the uh, committee exam required a, uh, a mastery in the art of reading. That could be a reason. But also a reason was the, 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 the presence of the, the new system of writing commentaries and, and, and super commentaries. Um, so that's, that's basically how, how, it was, how, it was, how it was introduced. Um, of course, there are the different writings on Adab al-Mutala and different approaches on Adab al-Mutala. Maybe um, we could give like a, a snapshots of them now and then we will get into the, the coming recordings. Um, more of a detailed explanation like we will starting the next recording inshallah we will lay out uh, what's in those works mm -hmm. uh, we'll summarize what's what's in, in, in those works but now we'll just give a snapshots for the you know like a kind of a teaser for the coming uh, yeah. coming recordings um you know you, you you have like different different approaches in the art of reading discipline okay so you have for example hamid al-ghifari who was a, uh, a scholar from Persia who uh, was very much interested into um, rhetoric and also was very much interested into uh, metaphysics. And he has works in both. Um, so he wrote a treatise in Adab al-Mutala'a called Risala fi Adab al-Mutala'a. And Hamid, Al-Alama Hamid al-Ghifari, he Right, he puts in the manual an introduction. The different sorts of fallacies that a writer could fall into. He does not mean that writers intend to commit fallacies, but because of the human nature that humans would make mistakes. So he gave an introduction before he laid out the procedure on how to read a book. He said, look, if you will enter the realm of reading texts. You have to be aware of the different fallacies that happen in text. So basically, the approach of Hamid Rivari was kind of a critical reading uh, manual. You find Al-Allama Al-Arif Billah, who's known as Abdi. He was, a, he was a, an, a, 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 an Akbari um, uh, a scholar. And he wrote uh, an exegesis or a commentary of Fusus al-Hikam by Shaykh al-Akbar Sayyidi Muhammad ibn Arabi. But the, and he was mostly known for his Sufism. But then he wrote uh, a treatise that should be published soon, inshallah. I've been working on it. On Adab al-Mutala. What's kind of... It's, it's kind of amazing. He used a mathematical approach in discussing the Adab al-Mutala'a. And what I mean by this, he used probability. He said, if you're reading a statement, and this statement is composed of two words, and each word could mean one of two meanings. So that would give a probability of four meanings for the statement. And if the statement is made out of three 
words, composed of three words, and each word has two meanings. So that give a probability of six, or it could give a probability of nine, or it could give a probability of 12. And he says the reader is basically the person who's able to gather all the probable meanings, and then would know how to rule out the totally absurd meanings throughout the, you know, by, by using the context uh, to rule out the completely absurd meanings. And then once he kind of narrowed down to one or two or three meanings for the statement, he would then use different tools on how to say, oh, this is the meaning of the statement. So he's a, he's a, he's a Sufi, he's a saint, he's an Akbari scholar. And then when he approached the art of reading, he used mathematics and probability on, in, in reading mm -hmm. and saying that the best reader is the one who's able to gather you know, the highest probability mm -hmm. and then would rule out the absurd uh, 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 possible uh, readings of the text. So in a sense for him, for him as a saint and as a scholar, huh, for him the best reader is the one who's able to eliminate the absurd readings, right? uh, which is kind of very interesting. Huh? Mm -hmm. that, 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 that reading in its core, huh, in some sense, is an elimination mm -hmm. of the incorrect understandings. Mm -hmm. So before you actually choose what's the correct, you have to eliminate what's incorrect. That is one approach. Huh? The previous one is close to this, by the way. Because he, when, Hamid, when Alama Hamid Ghifari puts the introduction about the fallacies, he's basically saying this as well. You have to kind of be careful what's, what's, uh, what's wrong or what needs to be eliminated. So they're, they're not the same thing, I understand, but they're very close in the sense of eliminating something. Um, one is talking about the elimination of fallacies, and the other one is talking about the elimination of incorrect understandings. Okay. Um, and you could sense the the critical spirit in 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 in, in both um, in in both writings. But then Hamid al-Ghifari, you might think, well, Hamid al-Ghifari started his text by talking about fallacies. Is this like similar to the critical reading tradition in the West? Yeah. And then you find him in the first uh, chapter or the first part after the introduction, saying, look. When you read a book, you would have to bring out the controversial parts and you would have to bring forward critiques towards what you're writing. But then you would have to provide a response on behalf of the author for the critiques that you brought forward. And then after you bring those responses, after you provide responses for the critiques that you yourself brought forward against the author, then bring critiques towards the responses that you provide uh, on his behalf. And he said, the longer you go in this process, the better reader you are. How many steps, gradual steps of a critique response, critique response. So one person would only bring a critique and has no response. And, a per, and another student would bring a critique and a response. Mm -hmm. And then a third, student would, a third student would bring a critique, a response, a critique upon the response, and then a response for the second critique and so on and so forth. So the, long, the, 
the chain of critiques and responses, the more prolonged, the, the, the more um, we can say that we, the more we could say that the student actually understands the discipline <coughs> and understands the text that he is, uh, that he is writing. And, and, and then he would say something, he says something similar to Sajakili Zada, even though I don't think they, you know, they benefited from each other. Al-Alam Ahmed Ghifari says, if you stay a whole year doing this, to acquire the skill, that, that's fine. The, the, it is important enough that you would spend a year out of your studies just preparing yourself on, uh, on that sort of, uh, on that mm-hmm. sort of manner. Um, so these are, these are two snapshots of how they, uh, uh, of how they approached the notion of the, uh, of the, of the art of reading. Um, I, I, so in the, in the coming, in the coming recordings, inshallah, we, we can get into uh, the actual procedures. We'll lay out the, you know, the, the style or the procedures according to Hamid al-Ghifari or the, um, the, the, the method of reading according to uh, al-Alama. Uh, Abdi and, and so on and so forth inshallah so, Thank you for listening This lesson was brought to you by Seekers Guidance the world's first truly global Islamic seminary Visit SeekersGuidance.org to access reliable Islamic knowledge taught by qualified teachers We offer a wide range of courses podcasts, articles and a world class answer service all completely free of charge This is made possible solely by supporters like you be a partner in this blessed work by making a small donation at seekersguidance.org donate. Even $10 a month can go a long way. Our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Whoever guides someone to goodness will have a similar reward. So don't forget to share this lesson and join us in spreading prophetic guidance.